Hello everyone, and welcome back to Strong Style Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Paul Martinez, and we are back today with our Lucha Underground Report, as well as night one of the New Japan Ring of Honor joint show, Honor Rising. Uh, very uh, interesting show, and uh, some newsworthy happenings on that show, and we're going to... Probably, well, yeah, we're going to start off with that. We'll have Lucha Underground be our main event again. So, on the rising, this uh, night one, this took place on February 19th, 2016. And let's get right into the undercard here. The first opening match was Jushin Thunder Liger teaming up with Matt Seidel as they faced the interesting team of Dalton Castle and Roski Taguchi. You know, to start it off, I usually don't find Taguchi's act amusing, but him doing the castle entrance was actually pretty funny. Dalton actually seemed to get a kick out of it too, which was nice. A lot of comedy here. Most of it actually was good. Luckily, we had Seidel for some real wrestling moments. Uh, he catches Dalton with a reverse Frankensteiner, then nails the shooting star press, and they get the win. Two stars. It was good for what it was. Uh, we'll move on to our next match, which is uh, the Battle of the Bookers. Gato versus Delirious. Uh, the bell rings and Delirious starts running around, foaming at the mouth, slapping the mat, talking gibberish. And <laughs> the look on Gato's face for this was just priceless. Like, the hell was happening? But uh, a lot of, I'm going to say a lot, but there was some comedy in this match too. And I don't know, two comedy matches in a row, I don't think it's a great idea. Delirious wins it with some sort of a cradle. I gave it one and a half stars. Get to match three. And it's Frankie Kazarian. Which is one half for the addiction. As they as he faces the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Kushida. And uh, finally some good wrestling is expected here in this match. Kushida is in control early, early in the match. But Kazarian cuts him off. With a slingshot DDT. Uh, Kaz in control a bit. And trash talking a lot to him and the audience. Kushida does come back. Locks on the Kimura. Kazarian taps out. Two and a half stars. It was a solid effort. Our next match. This is a eight man tag. Where Bullet Club. Tamatanga. Bad Luck Valet. Cody Hall. And Takahashi team up to face the team of Moose, Hanma, uh, that's Tomoaki Hanma, one half of the tag team champions, Michael Elgin, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, I thought this would be a match to kind of hide Tanahashi, who's really, he's injured, he's got a bad shoulder, and he's banged up pretty bad. So I figured, oh, eight-man tag, they're going to hide Tanahashi here. But I should have known better. <laughs> He probably had the most ring time in this match of anybody involved. Really, uh, they get the heat on him for a long while. He does finally make a hot tag. Elgin delights the crowd with feats of strength. And then Moose and Hall have a sequence. Not a very good one. But Moose pins Hall after a spear. Uh, one and a half stars. This was kind of a mess, to be honest. Very sloppy outside of Tanahashi who looked at one point like he may have hurt that shoulder again. Uh, Tamatanga was okay, but he wasn't in the match much also. But he, he wasn't bad, but he was the one who kind of took the match off. 
the next match, six-man action as Red Dragon and Shibata, the uh, never openweight champion, teams up against the Intercontinental Champion Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Now, Omega and the Bucks came out wearing the Elite shirts. No sign of Bullet Club anywhere on their gear, not the music. So it kind of seems almost at this point they're like distant cousins of Bullet Club. And I think we'll slowly see Omega and uh, the Bucks really not associating with the rest of the Bullet Club. Uh, funny watching Omega dancing to the Shibata opening of his entrance music. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, they didn't have the camera. They had a, a wide shot. But if you were looking at the watch and paying attention, Kenny was kind of dancing to the music. I just found that funny. As for the match, this one is wild, right from the bell. Um, good sequence with Kenny and Shibata until Shibata is on the wrong end of a triple super kick. Uh, O'Reilly has Omega in the guillotine, but he gets hairspray uh, shot in his eyes by one of the Bucks. They hit an indie taker and then a really sloppy one-winged angel, and that ends it. Uh, two and a half stars. The ending hurt the score. Uh, it was very good match up until that point. Then we get the Briscoes teaming up against Anderson and Doc Gallows. So I hear that night two of uh, this Honor Rising will be the official ending for Anderson and Gallows in New Japan. Uh, these two teams here, they engage in a mat wrestling classic. Oh, who am I kidding? It was a brawl. Very back and forth. I noticed Carl and Doc looked like they trimmed down a bit. Uh, probably something that was asked to them before they came into WWE. Uh, and you can see it in their work in the ring, especially Gallows. He looked much more crisper in the ring and looks like he shed maybe 25 pounds and it really showed. There's a TKO by Carl Anderson on Jay and he gets a two count off of that. Then both Carl and Jay kind of tease their respective finishers a few times, but it's Mark who hits the froggy bow on Anderson that spells the end. Two and a half stars, solid match, really nothing wrong with it. Um, just kind of, I guess, you didn't really expect uh, Anderson and Gallows to get a win with them going out. My next match, this was an interesting match, really, and I was looking forward to seeing it. The team of, of course, our IWGP heavyweight champion, Okada, and Yoshihashi, both of Chaos, team up against Los Ingobernables member Tetsuya Naito and his partner, the Ring of Honor heavyweight champ, Jay Lethal. Interesting team. Uh, Naito, again, before the match, goes over to Milano Collection AT, who was on commentary. He insists Milano hold open the ropes for him. Milano reluctantly does so. Then Naito acts for a fist bump. Milano hesitates and kind of hems in the hawes, but finally gives a half-hearted one. Okay, at this point, I really think this is going somewhere. Not sure if Milano has been cleared to compete. I do think if he is, I think he's going to be part of Yuji Nagata's Blue Justice group. Um, if that is indeed where this is going, where we're going to see uh, Nagata and Naito's uh, groups go head-to-head and... Uh, as I said, Yuji needs members. And um, I don't know. I just got a feeling Milano might be uh, part of that group. We'll see how that works out. 
sort of match. We get a nice exchange of Akata and Lethal. Really nice exchange. Um, then Naito refuses to take Lethal's tag at one point. I kind of saw this coming, you know, with Naito's character. And I don't know. I may be in the minority, but I'm not crazy about the Naito gimmick, about the... I don't know. I don't mind him being a heel. I just don't like this type of heel. This lazy, lackadaisical, slacker heel. I don't know. I don't like it. It's not a... It's not a Puro Riso type gimmick. And maybe that's why it works, but I don't know. For me, it doesn't really. Uh, the match goes on. We get another nice sequence, which ends with a lethal combination on Okada for a near fall. Yoshi then hits a blockbuster on Jay, but Naito breaks up the cover. Naito winds up clocking Okada with the Book of Truth as Jay hits the lethal injection on Yoshihashi and gets the 1 2 3. Uh, three stars. It could have been better. There were some sloppiness in spots, but it was still pretty good. After the match, Naito starts uh, beating Yoshi with the Book of Truth. Uh, then we get a quick tease of something with Lethal and Naito, but they then shake hands. Naito gives Jay a Los Ingobernables cap. Jay gives Naito a copy of the Book of Truth. And they all pose together and fist bump and looks like... Uh, there's all, all love between, uh, Lito and Truth Martini and Los Ingobernables. Then it's time for the main event of the show. And some main event it was. Roderick Strong taking on Tomohiro Ishii for the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Now, Roddy is really wrestling like a heel here. Uh, Ishii uh, you know, he's doing a lot, Roddy's doing a lot of, uh, stalling and what have you. Ishii finally gets a hold of him. Starts just laying the wood to the champ. Roddy does cut him off, begins to work him over a bit. Ishii comes back, but is taking a lot of damage to his back, which is limiting his ability in the ring. Uh, Roddy's chest, by the way, is bleeding from some of the vicious chops he's taken. Honestly, I'm surprised Ishii isn't as well, because Roddy, unleashing chops and Raya's you know arguably the best chops in the business today and he was ripping on Ishii's chest but Ishii is the stone pit bull for a reason guys just like impervious you almost think it's a pain they are battling at one point on the apron Ronnie does a back suplex that I think was supposed to be on the apron but he mistimed it and he dropped Ishii right to the floor with a bad bump, referee Todd Sinclair immediately is there checking on Ishii. A strong rolls him in and covers for a near fall. The thing is, Ishii is arguably the best seller in the biz, so I can't tell if he legit hurt or not. He kind of looked legit to me, but it's hard to tell with Ishii. He's such a good seller. Ishii begins later on to start walking through anything Ronnie throws at him. He's throwing elbows and chops, and Ishii just keeps coming like nothing. He deadlifts superplex by Ishii for a two count. That was a pretty impressive spot. This guy, I'm telling you, this guy's amazing. Top rope superplex into a death by Roderick, followed by a sick kick from Strong. One, two, no. Ishii kicks out of that one. Lariato by Ishii and Strong kicks out at two. The crowd is loving this. So am I. Ishii then hits that head attack of his. Then the sliding lariat. One, two, no. Roddy kicks out again. 
Brain Buster by Ishii. One, two, three. Yes, that's right. Holy crap. We have a new TV champion. Four stars. Great match with a bit of a shocking finish here. I mean, this is what wrestling is. I mean, this match is just, to me, what I love about professional wrestling. Not 51-year-old men who should be retired facing 46-year-old non-athletes and then having fans get excited about it. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, think about it a while. I'm sure you'll get it. Okay, honestly, that kind of saved the show. It was not great up to that point. And I got to be honest, I haven't said that about a New Japan show ever. But really, going into that main event, this was going to be my first thumbs down New Japan show that I've ever reviewed. But that match, wow, that really saved it. That's some way to close. Great way to close the show. I'm very psyched up to finish watching night two. I did watch, like I think, the first two matches, but... Uh, again, as always, because of the Lucha Underground report, I didn't want to wait until I finished watching it. I wanted to get this up, but I like to get the Lucha Underground up fairly close to it after it airs. And speaking of Lucha Underground, that's where we're going to go to now. Lucha Underground episode 205 entitled Machine. We get a video with Pentagon kneeling and uh, I guess at some sort of temple and we hear the voice of Vampiro. And he explains that he was trapped in the mind of Ian. Ian, of course, being the uh, legal name of Vampiro. But he manipulated him into allowing him to get out. And now he and his disciple Pentagon will be unstoppable. He tells Pentagon to let nothing stop him. Not even her. As you see an old photo of Katrina. Okay, so I gather what we're dealing with here is, one, Vampiro is a schizophrenic with multiple personality disorder. Two, Katrina and Pentagon have a past. Sister, maybe? Now, later in the show, I thought that maybe this isn't true, but still I wonder why the old black and white photo of her. So, uh, I think there's more to this than, than we've seen so far. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on the storyline. We go to the ring and Jack Evans snatches the mic away from my future wife, Melissa Santos. Not cool, Evans. Not cool at all. Evans cuts some sort of rhyming entrance promo for himself, which was both cool and dopey at the same time. I'm sure you understand what I mean when I say that. And we get our match. It's Jack Evans versus PJ Black. The... Darewolf is all over Evans, who is a bumping machine. Uh, Evan turns the tide, though, with a beautiful springboard corkscrew kick right to the grill of black. Uh, then Drago appears in the rafters, swinging nunchucks. Evan sees him, and he goes and gets a chair and a bottle of water from a fan, just snatches it from him. He throws the water bottle at Drago up in the Raptors and tells him to come get some, basically. Evans, who's totally forgotten about PJ, who now grabs him and hits the Black Diamond, which is an inverted crucifix cutter. Interesting move. Looked really good. And he makes the cover. One, two, no. They totally got me on that one. 
swore that was the finish. Uh, Drago has now come to ringside. PJ and Jack fall to the ropes. Drago goes to spit his green mist, but it misses Evans and gets PJ Black. Evans does his black slide step over cradle move. One, two, three. Two stars. Um, it was shaping up to be a great one until the Drago distraction kind of disrailed it. But uh, after the match, Drago runs in. Evans immediately runs out. And we see them staring at each other. As in the ring, we see a pissed off PG Black. He grabs the nunchucks, which are now lying on the mat. And then in disgust, just throws them down against the mat. So, this looks like we might be in the beginning of an Evans-Drago PG Black scenario coming. Uh, if I could read between the lines here, it looks like that's where they're headed. Then we get a... What the hell was it? A commercial, I guess? Where Famous B is there in a white suit with a red convertible in the background. And he wants to make you famous. There's an actual line where it said, Turn you from a jobber to a robber. (laughs) I had to rewind to make sure that's what he said. You can't make this up. I have no idea what he's selling. Is he a manager, life coach? Is he a car dealer? Is he selling the convertible? I have no idea what this was about. Totally kooky uh, segment. We get our next match, and it's King Cuerno, who of course is the gift of God's champion, but that title is not on the line tonight again, as he faces Killshot. The announcers were openly wondering why Cuerno never seems to have to defend this title. Killshot looks so much more comfortable in this style than last season. He is really unleashing some stiff blows to King Cuerno. I mean, both of them really landing insane kicks. Cuerno cuts him off, starts asserting himself. Killshot then botches a cutter on the apron. Uh, but Cuerno takes an ugly bump anyway. Both men are down a bit. They continue to trade some sick uh, kick spots. Killshot then misses a corkscrew senton. Cuerno then nails the thrill of the hunt for the three count. Two and a half stars after he tries to hit that modified tombstone with Striker referred to as the thrill of the kill. But in runs Phoenix to chase him off before he can hit it. Okay. It was, you know, it was a good match. It was good. Um, Not great. It was good. It's kind of quick. Then we get Dejano. In a gauntlet match against the crew. And then if he gets by the first two, Chavo Guerrero Jr. So Mr. Cisco is first and he immediately eats a super kick and is pinned. In next is Cortez Castro, a.k.a. Undercover Officer Reyes. Uh, Chavo starts laying the boots to Cisco on the floor as Cortez tries to sneak attack. But Tejano is ready. He starts beating Cortez down. Cortez does get going and hits a springboard tornado DDT for a two count. Cortez continues to try to take out Tejano, but he gets caught in a sit-out powerbomb. One, two, three. It's now time for Chavo, who attacks from behind. He, uh, you know, laying the boots to Tejano for a bit, but Tejano comes back and he is just owning Chavo. He looks to suplex Chavo into the ring from the apron, but Castro trips him up, hooks the legs with the bull rope out of the ref's view. 
as Chavo falls on top of him and we get the three count. Two stars. Again, it was a match. Wasn't bad, just a match. You know, I kind of expected to see more between Tejano and Chavo uh, than we did, but it is what it is. But now, at this point, is where we get the highlight of the show. It is the return of Dario Cueto. He is outside that same structure that we saw in episode 1, 201 I should say, where we hear the screams of agony from within. Lotus asks, how long do we, they have to stay there? Dario says he needs to be sure Matanza's ready. He's out of practice. Then he says it's her fault. They are in a war anyway. He apologizes though and tells a story about Matanza. How he saved him when his evil mother, who he called El Diablo, went after him with a hot iron. He says Matanza picked up the Red Bull statue, if you remember from season one, and beat their mother with it until she couldn't hurt them again. Black Lotus offers condolence, but Dabby explains, no, this is a happy memory. Because that was the day he learned how much he loved violence. Holy shit. Best segment of season two. Dario's delivery, coupled with his facial expressions, were incredible. This show needs him. Okay? I I could take anyone being left off the show but Dario Cueto. He is Lucha Underground. If you do not believe me, you just have to watch this segment. The facial expressions, the bugged out eyes at some point. First telling the story with a sense of dread and, and sadness and then turning into this manic, like, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. This sick look on his face. And it's, this was just, this is acting. This is why we have actors and then there's wrestlers who try to act and do it very poorly. Other shows should be taking a lead from Ring of Honor, I mean, I'm sorry, not Ring of Honor, from Lucha Underground, and hiring actual actors for their non-wrestler roles. It's, it's, he's just incredible. Just incredible. We're back uh, at the temple, and Katrina, with that awful mushroom haircut, she is so hot, and that haircut uh, takes away from it. She's walking... And standing in what I guess was a training ring is Pentagon Jr. He yells her name and demands Puma needs to be taught a lesson and wants a match. She does her teleporting thing into the ring and says what makes him think she will give him anything after what he did to Mil Muertes. Pentagon then attacks her and we get a martial arts battle between the two. Uh... Actually, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good fight, considering we know that, uh, you know, neither one are probably skilled in martial arts. He gets her down, though, and threatens to break her arm, but she teleports away to the corner of the ring. She says he can get Puma next week, but be warned, putting his hands on her was the biggest mistake of his life. Teleports out the ring and walks away. 
Then we get our main event of the night. It is Cage versus Johnny Mundo. Oh, it's pretty much all Cage in this one. But Mundo hits... Hell, I don't know what to call it. Um, It was like a corkscrew dive from the top, I guess. But it's, it was more to it than that. It was like on the apron, kind of leapt up to the top rope, and then did a corkscrew dive. It really was a great move. The match heats up now with both men hitting big moves. Face first powerbomb by Cage for an air fall. Now I have to say, I'm continuing to be impressed by Cage's array of moves. Um, like I've said this before, but his offense is outstanding. If he could ever learn how to sell, cut a promo, and uh, do any psychology, the guy would be a good worker. Uh, but uh, his offense, very impressive. Johnny goes for the Moonlight Special, but it's countered into a Lucha Destroyer, is what it was called. One, two, no. Johnny gets his foot on the rope. Mundo with a knee strike, but then misses La Fin de Mundo. Discus Lariat by Cage, then he hits Weapon X. Then Taya Valkyrie runs down, leaves a pipe in the corner, and then jumps up on the apron to argue with Cage. Who, of course, you know, I'm not going to make the cover. I'm going to argue with this hot chick. Cage finally turns um, around, only to get cracked over the head with the pipe by Johnny Mundo. Mundo covers him for the three count. Uh, after the match, they put the boots to Cage. And Taya hits her version of the panic attack to the face of Cage in the corner. Johnny then hits La Fin de Mundo. Well, he didn't really hit it. He basically missed but he acted like he hit it. Uh, and then he and Taya hug it out. I gave this whole thing three and a half stars. Um, really happy to see Taya here. I've seen a little bit of her in uh, Mexico. She's not no Melissa Anderson, who we hope to see soon, but I, I like her style. I like her look. And uh, I think she'd be a good addition here to uh, Lucha Underground as Johnny's main squeeze, so to speak. Not a Melena is not uh, coming back. Uh, we switch to Katrina's office and Quano barges in. He says he's tired of being hunted by Phoenix. He's cashing in the belt for his title shot. But Katrina said they had a deal. King Quano doesn't care. Well, Katrina then informs him he already has a match next week for that belt against Phoenix. So, Quino is pissed off beyond belief. He starts to leave. But before he gets out the office, Katrina adds that Phoenix can fly. She hopes he can too. Because next week's match is a ladder match. Okay, that should be fun. Overall, a much better show than recent weeks. Hoping they're back on track here. Although, what the hell happened with Sexy Star and Mac and whoever her was? I hope we get answers next week to that. I was looking forward to that. But that's our show. Um, like I said, I do have the second day of Honor Rising to review. And I'm going to do that hopefully in a couple of days. But until then, as always, uh, thanks for listening. And bye-bye.